You're listening to the Good Recruitment Campaign podcast with Kevin Green. And to find out more about the Good Recruitment Campaign, visit www.rec.uk.com forward slash good recruitment. Hello and welcome to the new Good Recruitment Campaign podcast. With me today is Daniel Harris from Mock McDonald. Uh, he's the head of talent acquisition for Europe and Africa. Hello. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. No, it's going to be fun. So tell us a little bit about Mock McDonald, um, the organisation. Okay, so Mock McDonald, they're the largest employee-owned engineering development and management consultancy. So we're a British business, got around about 15,000 employees globally. And the sort of thing we work on is big civil engineering projects. We do a lot of work with the Environment Agency, National Grid, uh, but also internationally doing work around sustainability. Okay. And so is it, say, predominantly professional recruitment? Is it architects, civil engineers? Yeah, yeah. so all of that and, uh, and lots more. So it's environmentalists, ecologists. Uh, we take lots of apprentices. And obviously, we've got a big support function as well across the business. So you've got your marketing, your HR, your finance, legal, etc. So it's anything and everything. Okay. How long have you been at McDonald's? You've got a recent recruit to them, aren't you? Yeah, I am. So I've been there now coming on, well, just past six months. So, yeah, I joined back in the summer last year. And prior to that, you was at Aircom. Tell us a bit about your role there. Yeah, so I was at Aircom for just under five years, um, joined as recruiter, and then became the lead for the UK business uh, before moving on. Okay, so tell us about the challenges. What are you currently working on at Mock uh, McDonald? What are the things that keep you awake at night, the big challenges that you're really trying to grasp with? So I think one of the um, the biggest one for us at the moment, and I suppose the reason I was brought into the business in the first place, was to really modernise the way that we were um, uh, carrying out talent acquisition across okay. the region. So that means, and it's the same old saying of going from reactive to proactive, but that's really what we're working with at the moment. We want to move from a, a transactional recruitment function to a much more forward-thinking talent acquisition function. Okay. And tell us about what difference does that mean? So what does a forward-looking talent acquisition team do? Uh, and you know, what does a reactive, non-forward-looking, progressive recruitment team do? What's, what's the essence of that? What's, what do you do? What's... So from, from my perspective, there's one key element that, that differentiates the two. So by moving to this more proactive approach, we've got to be able to almost be the experts in our industry of the talent we need to, to make the business a success. So what we want to do is get to a point where we've got pipelines of engaged talent that we're speaking to, regardless of what active recruitment we're doing, we're always out in the market, we're always talking to candidates that would make our business a success. And then the idea is when a vacancy does come up, got we've already got the talent ready to come into the into the business. So it's moving from one to the other. Yeah, and, and, and I get that. So you really need to be, you need to create a community around you of the people that you're likely to Absolutely. want to hire. So how do you do that? What do you do? How do you go about developing that community? Tell us about some of the sort of key activities involved in that. Yeah, definitely. So, so pipelining is, is the obvious one. Uh, we've now had a bit of a behaviour change and a bit of a shift in terms of the way that our recruiters are, are set up. Historically, they were very much focused on their working rec to rec, um, requisition to requisition. They were obviously spending a lot of their time on their applicant tracking system. Now we're being much more proactive and saying, look, you know, you need to be out there in the market, talking to talent, speak to your business, understand where they're in, where their unit is headed, what industries, you know, how the industry is evolving. 
and then make sure that we're going out and speaking to the talent that we're going to need in the future, not just today. So it's really a behavior shift from what the recruiters are doing. It's building up pipelines and it's actually focusing on that pipeline, not just how many recs that they're managing. And how do they do both? So if I'm a recruiter, I've been working in a reactive way, I've got 10 jobs to fill, I'm focused on seeing yep. candidates for those jobs and you know, putting people, in, organising interviews, putting them in front of managers and stuff. So I've still got to do that, presumably. So how do I find the time yep, to, to, do the, to do the other stuff, the proactive, get out there, yep. talk to people that, you know, that may not be suitable for a direct job, but we need to understand where they are, what their aspirations are, and position our brand? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, great question. So um, one of the first things we did when I joined was evolve our delivery model. So historically, we had uh, the whole team, and, and we've got around about 20, 25 in the team at the moment. And... Um, um, we had them all managing 360-degree recruitment. So uh, open the rec, take it through to close, and then move on to the next one. We've now almost taken a slightly different approach, which is you could probably call it more of a kind of an IKEA approach where you break down the role of the recruiter and focus in different areas. So we've got one, uh, we've got a team that now focuses on recruitment marketing. They purely take ownership for our employer brand, working with the group and, and looking at employer brand initiatives. We've then split the role of the recruiter in two. So we've got recruiters who, and it's based on candidate experience, We've got recruiters now that their role is purely to manage candidate experience in terms of the active candidates coming onto our website. So they okay. candidates that apply to a role, their, their role is to effectively assess every candidate that comes in first thing in the morning, offer that exceptional candidate or great candidate experience, manage them through the process, keep nudging our hiring managers, make sure that all those candidates are moving through. While the other half of the team, their role is purely outward facing, out on tools like LinkedIn, out there networking, partnering with the business, driving referrals, and, and they're purely targeted on going out and bringing talent to the business, regardless of what open recs we have. And how easy a transformation has that been? You know, moving from one model to the other model. You know, presumably there are people that like the way that they did yep. it, and you know, if they can stay in the, you know, the, the, the filling the role uh, activity, most probably quite happy. Probably say, well, actually, I need you to be doing the brand, or I need you to be talking to the candidates, even though there isn't. You know, how did you manage that transformation? Did you lose some people? Did you have to bring some new people in? So we've, um, in terms of the team, we have had quite a lot of changes going on. There was just as I joined, um, and I don't, they tell me it wasn't down to me, but we had quite a few levers that uh, left the team. So that actually gave us uh, an opportunity to, to bring people in that would fit this, this new model. Um, as a whole, I would say the team have really embraced it and they're now almost feel that they've removed the shackles of being reactive and they're really starting to get out there more now, spend more time with the hiring managers, understand our projects, get and visit projects, spend more time out speaking to candidates. So the majority have, um, have really embraced it. Um, but ultimately, it's the difficulty there is, is that behavior change because it's very easy just to revert back to, to norm and what you've done in the past. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just making sure that everyone can see the benefits of it. We're, you know, we're being as supportive as we can with everyone through this transition. Of course. Okay. One of the things I am interested in, in particularly when you're doing the sort of brand stuff, the candidate experience, but building these communities around your organization is what metrics do you use to know you know clearly there's the normal stuff about speed to hire speed to fill jobs cost of it and all of that stuff yeah. but you know on the more broader you know esoterical stuff um the brand or you know how many people do we need in our pipelines you know what are your sort of metrics what's your dashboard to know that 
these people are doing what you want them to do. Yeah, so so we recently built um, a new talent acquisition tracker that's uh, automated, so it's updated every week, Brilliant. pulls data from the ATS and shows us, obviously you've got your time to fill in there, you've got your time to acceptance in there, you've got your standard stats, got all our source of hire, where all that's coming from, so that's Brilliant. one element of it. But in terms of the actual going out and approaching passive candidates, we're now tracking through LinkedIn. So, so we're using LinkedIn as our okay. as our main tool, I suppose, for um, for managing our pipeline, um, and we're basically targeting the team with you know x and x amount of approaches on on LinkedIn. But not just scattergun approach. We're saying you know be much more tailored in the way that you're going out there. But also how many candidates you're introducing to your pipeline. So if you were to say our transportation business, we have a transportation pipeline. We know what talent we need to fill within transportation. So our recruiters now are targeted with bringing that talent, each you know introducing people into that pipeline. Uh, and I think we've set three to four um, engaged candidates per week okay. into that pipeline right. that we can then manage and ultimately their role is then to keep, keep relationships going with those candidates. Slight, of a, slight variation. One of the things that's really interesting for me is one of the areas where I think organisations struggle is getting the data about, you know, if you call it workforce planning or requirements planning, not for the jobs yep. we need to fill now, but you know, where's the talent we're going to need in two to three years' time so that you're building the right communities, the right talent pipelines? Tell us how you go about engaging with the business around that because for me, it's most probably one of the, the things that we know we need to do, but sometimes it's incredibly difficult to get, you know, to engage people in that conversation and to get the data that you need to be able to then do your planning in terms of which are the what talent that we need to build in our pipelines. And, and I think that really is just being as close to the business as, as you possibly can be. And then we've got talent acquisition managers now whose role really is to partner with their with their stakeholders, understand the business, as I mentioned before, get site visits in, go to projects, speak to staff, you know, and really just get underneath the, the business, not sit, you know, sit away, don't really engage. So it's really building up those strong relationships but also explaining the benefit of if we move to this approach and if we can articulate that in a way that they understand and we can say, look, by being more proactive, by reducing our time to hire, we can add to your bottom line by reducing the number of days it takes to get someone onto a project. It's, you know, there's there's a, an, an opportunity oh, yeah, gain there in, yeah, in, in terms of financial impact. So it's, it's talking and it's getting out of the business, engaging hiring managers, but also talking in language they understand. It's also having a process, isn't it? You know, we're going to revisit this every six months, look at the you know the potential future requirements, and just keeping that conversation going. So it isn't a static thing; it's a live, working. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Okay, sounds interesting. So let's just talk a little bit then um, about you. So tell us how you got into recruitment in the first place. Yeah, so um, uh, I initially, as most people do, fall into recruitment. I didn't leave um, school with you know grand ambitions to be a to be a recruiter, but um, I had uh, been travelling. Uh, went to Australia, did a bit of backpacking, um, Southeast Asia. Came back. Uh, at the time, a friend of mine was um, had started working in recruitment. I'd done a few sales jobs while I was travelling, just to kind of a little bit of money, pick it up here and there. Um, he convinced me that, that it's a good opportunity to, um, to, you know, to get into recruitment. Didn't know much about it at the time. Didn't really understand the, uh, the whole business development piece and what it was about. I just thought, yeah, it's an office. It looks pretty. Um, looks like a cool environment. I'll, um, you know, I'll have some of this, and uh, yeah, yeah. kind of went from there, really. So you basically you went into an agency first rather yeah. than an in-house role. Yeah. And tell us what you think the difference is between the two. Um, I, I think there's um, there's obviously a lot of similarities there, but I think the fundamental difference is that it's a um, 
Now, you, you really have to, obviously you don't have to worry too much about business development now. Your, your business development, I suppose, is your stakeholders and your hiring managers. So, um, you know, it's, it's building those relationships and it's the, you know, the candidate engagement pieces is very similar. But I think it's just moving into an environment where, you know, you've got the, the specific roles that you're, you're constantly filling. Um, but at the same time, it, if there's a vacancy that is a hard to fill role, you, you know, you can't move on to client mm. to client. You're, you know, you're very much focused on these. Are your, do you think we're moving further away from each other in terms of skills and capabilities? Or do you think we're coming back together, the in-house and the agency market? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think it's, um, I, I do think that we are still together. I mean, the, the, the recruiters from an agency side are, I would say, because they've got a lot more training, you know, there's obviously a, um, if you take a big recruitment organisation, their bottom line is tied into the, you know, the, what the, the work the recruiters are doing. So they invest a lot of money in their training and development. We don't necessarily have that in house. So I'd say the recruitment agencies are probably a bit more advanced in some of the methods mm-hmm. that they're using. But um, we're certainly catching up with them, and, and I'd say that we're still close together. Um, and it, for me, the idea is is working, you know, together and hand in hand in, in the approach. So do you use agencies in your yeah. talent acquisition? Is it is it a sort of something that I'm always interested in the mindset because I yeah. talk to in-house recruiters all the time and I get interesting stories. You know, some some say that we're just trying to avoid it where, wherever possible, and but occasionally we'll go out. So it, sometimes that's a sort of a reluctant use of agencies. And then there's somebody says, "Look, we're going to partner. We're going to do some of this ourselves." But there are particular areas where perhaps we haven't got the resource or we need a greater number of candidates. So we're going to set up particular projects and work yeah. with external agencies. And then there are others that go, you know, we keep our internal team really lean uh, and we do some of the, the core stuff and then we use agents. So there's lots of different models out there. Where, where's McDonald and, and how does that work? Yeah, so, so we absolutely want to partner with our agencies. So when I joined Mock McDonald, we had a very large and extensive um, preferred supply list and uh, to be honest it wasn't really um, working for, for us but I'm, I'm sure it wasn't working for the agents that were on there as well so we've just gone through a full review too of many that. presumably too many yeah but you know far too many on there and and I, I absolutely believe that you know a preferred supplier you need to be building a strong relationship with them so one of the first things we've done is we've gone through obviously wait for the terms to expire but uh, we'll come up to expiry yeah, but we've yeah. gone through a full review of that and uh, we've literally reduced that down by 50% now so how many are we're around about 40 at the moment which is still in my in my mind we've we've got too many there Um, we're doing about 10% of our hires by how many hires are you doing here so we're doing around about experienced hires around about 900 Um, so it's about 90 coming through from a perm perspective we've also obviously got our contingent workforce as well which um, you know we we heavily use um, agency support for as well probably more so on the contingent than on the perm but it's um, you know, it, for me, it's all about building that, getting a strong relationship. You know, if I'm an do, agent, you, do you build, sorry to cut you off. No, there, do, you, do you build relationships with people in particular disciplines, or yeah. is it you want some agencies that know you so well they can work across the piece? A little bit of everything, because ultimately, because Mont McDonald is a business, is it works in very very niche um, sectors as well. So, and you know, not every generic agency or all encompassing no, agency will be able to support. So, we absolutely need to speak to some of the niche providers. But then at the same time, you know, we, as I mentioned before, we've got, you know, we've taken quite a lot of support staff. So we obviously need someone that can cater for all the different areas. 
and um, yeah, it, we want to make sure that we're, we're kind of covering everything. So it's a real mix of both. Okay. Um, one of the things I'm always interested in asking people, um, and we talked a bit about you know the shift from reactive to proactive in terms of uh, talent acquisition, in terms of a strategy or an approach. Tell me a little bit about the individual. So when you're looking at a resource or someone within your team, or you're looking to hire <coughs> perhaps, looking to hire as most people, you know, what differentiate, what are the skills and capabilities you're looking for, but also what is it about attitude, mindset, energy, resilience that you're looking for? Because I think that's always interesting because again, you know, we're running a human capital function, aren't yeah. we? In reality, we're only, you're only as good as the people that you have in your, you know, uh, 25 or whatever it is, resources. You know, the better they are, individually and collectively, the better the function is. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. So, so what great looks like. So from my perspective, I think there's a lot of the um, intrinsic behaviours that, that you don't necessarily um, see on a CV. So it's, it's someone's curiosity with the business. You know, do they want to know about if it's, uh, you know, if they're working and supporting the environmental part of our organisation? Do they want to go and meet the ecologists, understand what they're doing, understand how the sustainability and the social impact of what our projects are doing? You know, that really will help them then move and build that strong relationship with the hiring manager. There's also conscientiousness. It's a lot of the time we get roles that are very difficult to fill. You know, we've, I won't go into talent shortages and whatnot in the, the areas that, that we're working on, but, you know, there is a shortage in some of the areas. So it's not giving up. It's, it's Come constantly coming up with new ways of finding talent and meeting people so that you can get referrals and network. So I think it's a lot of those intrinsic skills that, that you don't necessarily see. But then I suppose at the same time, it's having that being sort of digitally fluid in, in the way that you approach recruitment. It's not just thinking that you know what's worked in the past will work in the future. It's understanding that now you've got to be a lot more technically savvy on with tools like LinkedIn and your filters and, and how you manage your pipeline. You know, there's lots of X-ray search in Google. There's lots of different things that you can be doing. That, X-ray search. Tell me about that. I like yeah. the sound of that. So uh, it, it, it's, I suppose it's using Google to um, basically narrow down, narrow down your candidates. But booting search, but it's uh, through Google, and it's a um, you know. But there's all these different technical advances that are coming through that. Are, changing things I think for the recruiter you've got to be able to move with that and understand how that works and use it to your advantage and how do you develop people in all those different tools because again you get the, so we've got the raw material we've got some of these curious got a bit of business acumen about them quite resilient quite fast paced um, you know so you've got that natural sort of you know um, capability and then you're going, but I need you to do all the, have all these different tools in your armory to yeah. make you great. So how do you go about training and developing your recruiters to make sure that they have all those tools? Is that just about peer-to-peer? Is, do you have yeah. little sessions? How do you get people up to the required standard? I think it's constantly, it's, we've got um, providers and suppliers that, that do support and it's learning about them and what they're doing you know organisations like Indeed LinkedIn we, we try to work quite closely too um, but then at the same time you mentioned peer-to-peer you know it's, it's looking at the one you know the people in the team that are providing the you know they're, they're demonstrating and setting the standard and then you know encouraging the others to learn from that and, and share ideas and, and actually work as a collective and, and not just be focused on your own individual contribution Okay, we're going to take a break there. We'll be back in a couple of minutes where I'm going to talk to Daniel about technology. I'm going to talk about the future of the profession and most probably really get underneath a couple of things that they've done really, really well at McDonald. So be back in two minutes. Jobs transform lives. And that's why the REC is building the best recruitment industry in the world. 
as the professional recruitment body, we're determined to make businesses more successful by helping them find the talent they need. To discover how you can be involved in the Jobs Transform Lives campaign, visit rec.uk.com. So welcome back to the second part of our Good Recruitment podcast. With me today is Daniel Harris from Mott McDonald, the Head of Talent Attraction for Europe and Africa. Um, one of the things I'm really interested, because we see more and more, and you mentioned it already so far about being digital, uh, digitally savvy, clearly there is lots of tech out there, right? Um, you know, we've got CRMs, we've got ATSs, there's loads of other stuff that we can bolt on. Just tell me about how you currently are using tech and how you think it's going to change in the for you in the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. So at the moment, I'd say the the core tech that we're using is the uh, we've got our, obviously ATS um, applicant tracking system at the moment, which, which one is have you uh, Connects a Brass Ring, which uh, you know we've um, we've been happy with that. It's you know it's providing it's providing us what we need. We're um, constantly looking at how we can evolve that and, and what bolt-ons we can yeah. use around that. We've got Broadbean that does a lot of our job aggregate or job postings through. Yeah. Um, we are also looking, so through 2019, we're, I suppose it's, it's tech, it's, it's looking at reducing some of the um, repetitive tasks that we have throughout the team. Okay. So through our ATS, things like auto, um, automating our offer process, that's something that we've, we've okay. just introduced. So now in the past, we would have a team of people that would manually create offer letters. We've now moved to a much more, you know, much, I suppose, faster process yeah. of now hitting a couple of buttons and your, your offer letter's created. It's now sent out to the candidate via a portal. So within 20 minutes, technically, of getting a um, an approval, we can have an offer in front of the candidate. And is that, is that something that you've built yourself or was that a module that was offered to you? I mean... Uh, it's something that... So we've had someone in the team who's um, been working very closely with IBM who's... Okay. Who's based on a lot of that? I mean, it's something that initially I did. It is something that IBM offers part of their part of their package. We've just introduced it recently. Okay. Now, uh, one of the things I think uh, I, I've heard that you're interested in is the whole chatbot thing. Yeah. So, so tell us about what you're looking at because I don't think you're quite there yet um, and most probably why you're doing it yep. what you think the benefits are because I think in the next two to three years I think most TA functions but also the agencies as well are going to be really looking at how do we automate as much of this stuff and provide greater value to candidates so just tell us why you're looking at it, what you think it will do for you. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of the chatbots, I suppose it's been then, I think it was an REC report that came out, a recommendation about, you know, mm. the candidates do want to use chatbots or they, they like the functionality of a chatbot. So from our perspective, it's it's just a, a great step forward for us in terms of that candidate engagement piece. We, um, at the moment, we, well, historically, we had a shared email box where lots of the frequently asked questions would come through to, we then built an FAQs document, which is put up on the website now. That's um, this is probably the chatbot is the next evolution of that. It's basically an interactive FAQ, and that's the point, isn't it? That you can ask the questions and you get a Absolutely, tailored yeah. response rather than exactly. just reading a very long document and it will learn for your question. Yeah, exactly, and it, and it will use machine learning, so you can you can obviously tailor it as it goes as different questions are coming in. And so the benefits, if you, I can understand, so the benefits for the candidate and the benefits for you as an organisation of using chatbots. Yeah. So from our perspective, it means that we can have our teams focused on it. It's mainly our early careers team at the moment that uh, are getting lots and lots of questions coming in early stages in the recruitment cycle. Yeah, yeah. So that means they can focus more on value-added activities rather than being reactive to all these questions that come in. There's obviously going to be times where we need to speak one-to-one with our candidates. Of course there will be. The chatbot won't do all of our interaction with 
candidates, but it's, it takes away a lot of those repetitive questions that, that come in. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the candidate, again, I, I'm, I'm sure it was an RBC report, there's um, candidates are that, you know, in some instances they want an instant response to a question, you know, it might be a question about a particular role before they apply, you know, rather than send an email through, wait a day or two, um, depending on time difference, we get a lot of international students coming into our grad programs as well. You know, rather than waiting and waiting for an answer, they can get an instant reply. So it makes their process, it makes their experience quicker, slicker, um, but also for us, we can focus on the value add. Yeah. And so, how are you going about that? Are you sort of having to build a business case? How big is the investment? Um, who are you looking at? You know, I'm just interested. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be in the same spot. So I think I better have a look at this. Yeah. I think there's some value for candidates. I think there's some value for us. So where, who do I need to look at and how do I look, build a business case? Because again, if I go to the business and say we want to spend some money, they're always going to go, well, what are we getting for that? Yeah, and I suppose it's, it's looking at what your ATS can provide. I mean, we're, we're lucky that with IBM, they've got a tool, Watson, ready to go. It's just a case of bolting it on. You know, we've got a good relationship with them, so I won't go into the uh, into the, the commercial side of it, but no. it, ultimately it's... You know, it, it's cost effective. It works for us, and like I say, the, the you know, enhancing the candidate experience, but also the, the value add that we can we can get from having our recruiters getting more, um, you know, into more, I suppose, yeah, value add tasks. It, it's um, it, it almost speaks for itself. Okay, so let's just move on a little bit. I'm just interested in this whole thing about sourcing and job boards and LinkedIn. Just tell us what you've been doing since you've got to Mark McDonald in that area, because I think one of the things that I think organisations are perhaps not as robust as they should be. It's sort of reviewing that spend, reviewing where you get the biggest bang for your buck and yeah. then refining your approach. You know, I mean, I think there's a bit in terms of what you're saying about how you're structuring the TA function to be proactive. And I think it's about being proactive around, you know, where you advertise, really, for one of a better term. Yeah, definitely. And um, so the, the tracker that we've built now, it does give us weekly updates on, on where our source of hire is coming from. So we can literally pulse check that in, in almost in real time. We can see if we... Um, run a big event we you know we would expect to see hopefully in a you know in a few weeks time yeah a month <laughs> or so time we'll see candidates coming through from that we can now track that in real time so it's it's just keeping keeping abreast of what we are we've set some some targets as well of where we we think the talent will come from um, in terms of job boards specifically they do only make up a small portion of our um, candidates coming in at the moment really? how much um, comes via a job board uh, I'd say specifically not sure off the top of my head, but it is. It is I mean, a, roughly what twenty yeah, percent? No, I'd say less than that. I'd probably say ten to fifteen. Okay, uh, so that tends to be presumably jobs where you think we're going to have a problem. You know, it's going to be a tough candidate marketplace. We need to build a bit of a. Well, that's the surprising thing. You would think that, but then for us, it, it, it really can vary. Because I suppose with job boards, you you know, it's they're, they're pulling in candidates from all sorts of locations yeah, and places. Yeah, yeah. So it could be a you know, it could be an administrator, it could be a project director. It, it does vary. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think as well, we probably haven't been as strategic in um, as, as we should have been in terms of where we're placing our jobs on yeah, job yeah. boards as well. Yeah, which job boards produce great responses exactly. for which type of jobs, geographical stuff's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well. And, and it's something that we are absolutely looking at for 2019 to try and improve on. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah we, are you yeah. looking at data about when candidates apply? Because I, I was reading something really interestingly recently about when you place jobs, you know, big, big, best days are Wednesday, so place your jobs on a Tuesday to get the biggest 
output and don't do stuff on a Friday because no one does stuff a week. You know, and yeah. I'm sitting there going, really? Because <laughs> you know, it's counterintuitive. I'm going, well, people are going to sit there and do their applications on a Saturday and Sunday, but actually yeah. they don't. They tend to do it around their working day, so early in the morning and in the evening. And yeah, Mondays so, tend to be when people go in, yeah. have a tough day at work, and then they get their applications out there on a Monday afternoon, Monday yeah. evening. So do you look at that sort of granular data about when are people are applying, particularly for different roles, and then start to adapt your sort of proactive approach? Yeah, we, we do. We, we, we keep an eye on um, you know where yeah. where they're coming from, when they're coming, um, but also we, we try to track our EDI data as well in, in terms of applications. So looking at are there any drop-off points through the process as the application moves through to candidate review, hiring manager review, interview, mm. are there any certain sort of bottlenecks or drop-off points where, you know, where, where certain demographics of candidates yeah, we take too through. long to get back so we lose a lot of candidates there or yeah absolutely one of the things just moving on to the candidate experience um, you know how do you measure that because I because I'm passionate about candidate experience I think it's one of the, the sort of um, nirvanas really for uh, talent acquisition and recruitment you know if we measure that and we can consistently improve what we'll do then I think you're more likely to retain you know candidates through the process you're more likely to have a better experience you're more yep. likely to get the right hires you know so so tell us about how do you go about measuring candidate experience so there's two things we're doing at the moment that um, probably fit this this category I suppose the first one is candidate feedback surveys so we've been um, at different points in the recruitment process so once they've applied once yeah, they've been they've been declined early in the process if they've been you know if they've been sat at yeah. a certain status for a certain period of time you know sending out messages to candidates to understand what their um, you know what their thoughts are what, what their feedback is okay. so that's one way and then we review that quarterly um, to understand exactly the other so you get the there. data at all the different points so you can see where the issues are we're actually exactly. one of our bit at the front end we're great at that but you know, I don't know, responsiveness, getting back to people seems to be our challenge so that you can improve that process and yep. then measure it again the next quarter to see whether you're Great. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And we've just actually kicked up a project to um, to review that again as well. It was, I think, it was actually about a year or so ago when when we introduced this um, a year, eighteen months ago, and, and we're just going through our first review of it now. Um, but then the other one is is really speed to hire. I mean, there's there's analysis that shows the longer you sit on a candidate, um, you know, from moment from they apply to review to review to interview, the longer that that period of time is, the um, the worse the experience gets. And uh, there's obviously high points in the candidate journey when they go on your website, they see imagery, they yeah. read the blog post, they, you know, they, they think, yeah, this is somewhere I want to work. I can see myself working. They hit apply. That's a high point. If it then takes, you know, weeks and weeks for to get a response, that high quickly becomes a low. So we're using speed of hire to, to really, you know, I suppose enhance the candidate experience. Okay. Um, let's talk a bit about one of the things that I know you're doing a lot of work around that you know in terms of the good recruitment campaign we're hugely passionate about and that is diversity and inclusion now clearly I know that I'm sure that's one of your priorities and you're really going to do a lot of work around that so tell us what you're up to and if what bits are having an impact because this is something that you can't change overnight it's, yeah. a, it's a slow progressive sort of process there's lots we're doing around EDI I mean one of the first things that, that we've we've tried to um, I suppose introduced with our job adverse is making sure we're being much more transparent as an organisation we're talking about you know real roles for real people we're not just giving out lists of responsibilities we're actually making the jobs slightly you know they feel a bit more real yeah. um, about what they're doing so that, that's that's one area we're, we're looking at the um, the tone of the language the tone of voice that we're putting into our jobs as well making sure that we're not heavily leaning towards a masculine um, uh, you know yeah. words for example uh, so we've reviewed job adverts we're also there's also lots of different EDI things that initiatives that, that we're kicking off for 2019 we've now partnered 
people within our talent acquisition function with representatives or um, the appointed specific leads for each of our advancing communities, such as advancing LGBT+, um, advancing gender, advancing race, etc., and then they're having regular communication to understand what are we doing in our recruitment process cool. that you know is potentially not just um, ideas to try and improve the diversity, but also putting candidates off. Is there certain things that we're doing that we could be doing better? So it's. Um, I mean, I think one of the things for me is about reaching out, isn't it? How do we go and you know? I think the bit that you said, uh, why the core of your approach is a proactive thing. So how do we go out and build relationships with people so that they start to understand our culture and who we are yeah. and our values. Um, so that when we can, we have got a job here that we're looking for as an environmentalist or a civil engineer or whatever in a different part of the world, that you can go out and go, we know that we've got some you know, female candidates or we've got people of different race that we're really keen to bring into the organisation. So I suppose it's a bit about how do you do that proactive bit, which is build relationships as well as look at the terminology and tone of voice and imagery around websites and yep. stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, And also it's feeding that into our pipelining. It's making sure that our pipelines are representing the markets that, that we operate within. You know, it's... Um there is um, there is an element of um, difficulty with the industry, with some of the industries we work in because they're you know, engineering, for example, is, or construction. They are male dominated at, the, at this stage. But you know, we're, we're trying to do as, as much as we can. We're looking at school outreach as well. Uh, I think it was a UK engineer that said that we've got a, a 1.2 million shortage of engineers by 2024. Absolutely. So yeah, we're yeah. trying to get you know into schools, trying to encourage more children to think of engineering, whether that's female, whether that's individuals from ethnic minorities. And how do you do that? Who do you say? into schools and what do they do when they get there do they do those sort of Lego projects I can remember doing some stuff I was chair of a education business partnership oh god too many years ago yeah. to, to talk about but one of the things I went into schools and did a lot of stuff and I, and I can't remember who it was but it was certainly some kind of civil engineering group and they did stuff with kids around Lego and what was fantastic was what they did is they just set them a little challenge and gave them loads of Lego yeah. and asked them to come up with something that was quite creative to, to, yeah, a little challenge and then they said, "Would you like to do that as a job?" Yeah. And it was an amazing thing. And these were like these were really young. These were seven, eight year olds, and they couldn't believe that what they'd just been doing could potentially be a job. And then they just showed pictures of buildings and stuff. Phenomenal. Yeah. Now, how that converted into people thinking about choices in their career, people thinking about what they studied, what they did at university, and then potentially ending up thinking about what they do as a career, I don't know whether that feeds through, but it certainly you know lit some light bulbs and you can see kids thinking really quite differently about jobs in the built environment no absolutely and I think if that would have been me in the in the classroom I would have absolutely become an engineer because <laughs> I love, love my Lego and uh, yeah. Always, yeah constantly any excuse to play with Lego it's um, yeah really it's um, but but from what we're doing uh, I think it's going out and educating about the, the projects we're working on you know everything around us is, is engineered and built in you know one way or another it's designed built engineered so it's getting out and it's, it's telling the you know talking to children to say that you know, there's stories those narratives exactly. you know I don't know whether it's cross rail or you know, but I mean, I you know, I you can you can excite kids, but you have to have a story and you have to have some pictures and they need to understand it really quite, you know. And then they go, oh right, you know. It, Absolutely, and it's also breaking sort of historical gender stereotypes. For example, it's saying that you know it's. It's, it's having showcasing some of the you know yeah. the female to, in our organisation that Absolutely. are doing fantastic work that are leading huge mega projects um, and then obviously talking to children about that and you see their faces light up so it's um, it's, it's 
yeah, it's a challenge, but it's it's definitely something that we're um, you know we're looking to um, to support and move forward with. Okay, tell us uh, uh, just sort of as we're sort of coming to an end. Tell us what you think the future holds, or what should it hold for the the talent attraction, talent um, acquisition industry, the in-house recruitment. What does it look like the next five to ten years? What are the key things uh, yeah. from your perspective? Yeah, I think we've touched on it. We um, obviously spoke about some of the repetitive tasks that are being removed from the talent acquisition function now. Uh, I think you know recruiters themselves will have to be a, a lot more digitally savvy. I also think there's an element that it will go back to that pure candidate engagement pieces. It's recruiters spending time talking, networking with the actual candidates themselves and uh, lots of recruiters you speak to particularly in-house because they generally tend to hold you know, a higher number of requisitions than, than your, mm. your agency recruiter they tend to especially in 360 recruitment they get bogged down with a lot of the admin so I think it's moving again to that much more of an engagement piece so it's using the technology take out the administrative tasks make sure we measure the candidate experience so we're getting more efficient but we're doing it well yep. and then focus on the bit about you know, building a relationship and you know it's very difficult to build a relationship through technology I mean it can you know, we all know that through you know social media and stuff it, it can aid it but in reality a personal relationship of the people that you potentially want to bring into the organisation yeah absolutely you know I mean I, I always think about Greg Savage he's oh. as um, and we did a podcast with him a couple of years ago and he always goes the craft you know his Australian actor the craft of being a great recruiter yeah. is being able to understand a person's wants and needs and building a proposition so you can drag them out of one organisation and put them into yours and that craft sometimes I think has been lost because we're seeing it as a transaction and a process yeah. and I think the better we get a transaction and process using technology the more time we have to talk about the craft of recruitment how do you understand you know uh, partners kids at school you know yeah. mobility all of those questions to careers in a family and know. having proper career conversations with people as well you know advising people on you know what their next move for them will be where they're going in the career what their ambitions are aspirations not just again being yeah. bogged down with lots and lots of admin firing candidate CVs around you know yeah. having much more engagement but then one of the other interesting I've just had a real thought that just come off, uh, come popped into my head and, and I don't know what you're doing about this but does your talent uh, acquisition attraction team function deal with internal hiring we do and, and that's a really good point and, and something that um I absolutely think that, that talent acquisition will move towards. It's um, we're not, and again, being honest, we're not doing as much as we can do. It's uh, again, we're, we're still at an early in the journey of moving to a, more of a proactive function. But I do think that certainly over the next year, three years, you'll see talent acquisition teams focus much more on the movement of people within the business, especially within professional service companies, because you know that people are your asset. That that's where your yeah. you know, that, that's your core. The and, and it's interesting. And from my HR experience, we're all interested in what talent have I got and what talent do I need to bring in. But one of the things that's quite interesting is you know we have PDRs and all sorts of process to look at people's performance and their skills. And but the whole process about movement and taking somebody from one site or one location or one team to another sort of sometimes gets tied down in the practicalities yeah. of yeah, you know the, the line manager I can't release them now because they've got you know we're on a big project and I yeah. get more resource and all that and again you know there's a, there's a 
I think we've got a team there that most probably, if they've got the right skills, can really help the business create in mobility and movement of talent across an organisation, particularly when you've got shortages, because you've got to look at internal as well as external to, to fill those gaps. No, absolutely. And it's, um, it's retention, it's making sure that your people in the organisation are um, getting what they want out of their career and out of their company, that you're creating these opportunities for them. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. And there's also the whole vertical, horizontal progression as well. It's, um, But I suppose the the one thing you've got to come over or the one thing you've got to overcome is that that protectionism that can go that can happen with yeah. organisations when if you've got a star performer in your team you know managers yeah, yeah. might not necessarily want to uh, lose that person to another part of the business but. yeah and I think there's two bits to that one is that one is you're not going to be able to engage in those conversations with senior managers about moving talent around unless you've got the acquisition stuff nailed down and it's happening and it's working because if you go to them and say I want to move some of your people they go well why don't you go and get some new ones yeah. and that would be great you know so you've got to have the, the core process of external hiring working that then enables you to play the role internally and then secondly I think it's most probably then one of the opportunities for talent acquisition to think about those stakeholder management skills, those influencing skills, the ability to persuade. So again, I think there's a bit of a journey for the whole industry then. So I think that's a a really good point. So as we finish off uh, there, Dan, just tell us a bit about, you've been involved in the Good Recruitment campaign. I mean, uh, we started here in 2014. I think you got involved quite early uh, with uh, Aircom and then obviously uh, Mott McDonald have signed up. So just tell us about why you got involved and what you've got out of being an active participant in the Good Recruitment campaign? Um, I, I think above everything else, I mean, there's lots and lots of bits that the, the Good Recruitment campaign offers, such as the networking, the reports, the you know the regular get-togethers and whatnot, but um, podcasts. But um, I think above everything else, it's almost somewhere that we can be held accountable for. You know, the Good Recruitment campaign, the charters there. Now, I've got that saved on my desktop. Most of the recruiters, I encourage them to put it on their desktop as well and follow it. it. It just almost, there's so much noise out there. We can always, if we feel that we're going, steering off in one direction or another, we can always revert back to, this is the charter, this is what we want to follow. This is what we're, you know, we're, we're almost um, putting out to the world that we are following and, and uh, is, is what we hold value and dear to us as a recruitment function. And um, you know, and it's it's almost that framework that, that we can follow. So I'd say that above all else is is the main thing. And uh, but then again, there's, there's lots of other bits there as well that you know. That, that the I mean, you talked a lot about the data that you've obviously found quite useful. Some of the research that we've done, and I know you're an active participant in some of the breakfasts and the get-togethers yep. and the networking and stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I think that um, even the WhatsApp group, you know, there's, there's lots of discussion there, there if you is, ever yeah, want to know yeah. about... I was really yeah. surprised. I met Cuba and, and Steve were talking to me a year ago and I'm going, I'm not sure. You know, people have got so many opportunities, but just try these things. And, and actually, it's quite active, isn't it? Yeah. Particularly someone asked a question, you know, I'm struggling with an ATS or someone's going on about blind, blind hiring, weren't they, recently? And someone's going on about software and... You know, there's all sorts of little conversations that go on where people just help solve the problems that other people have, and that's an indication, I think, of a good network, which is you know people are prepared to uh, give ideas, give experiences, and share stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, yeah. I mean, I think some of the talk was about job boards recently, and um, yeah. yeah. So I know it's, it's yeah, it's good. I'm pleased you're using that. I love the the stuff about the the charter and the nine principles because for us that's the bit that we really want to resonate with people that there there is a an aspirational charter there that people can measure themselves against and hold themselves to account and I think that's most probably proof the test of time and yeah. we'll continue to to push that and promote it 
Thank you for spending the time with us. I think it's been a great conversation, Daniel. All the best for the next few years at Mock McDonald and uh, for continuing to be an active participant in the Good Recruitment Campaign. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you, Kevin.